Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Becoming the CEO podcast, where we gather each week to be educated, empowered, and energized. It is your favorite CEO, Sabrina C. It is officially Women's History Month, and in celebration and honor of Women's History Month, Each week, I will be sitting down and interviewing some beautiful CEOs who have trailblazed, made successful businesses by marketing themselves, who have created products that have changed the lives of many people here in the U.S. and internationally. But before we get into the interviews this month, I wanted to take a moment to share a podcast episode by the beautiful artist India Ari that changed my life and helped me out of rock bottom. I was just sharing with my mom a couple days ago in a conversation that I'm finally feeling like myself again. Things that I used to do to, um, you know, take better care of myself, I've gotten to the place where I can do that again so you know doing my weekly skincare routine my my facials and something as simple as taking my vitamins and prioritize taking my vitamins and drinking enough water in a day I'm finally at the place where I can do that again for the past two years I feel like my life has been in constant transition a transition in which I initially resisted I did not want anything to change. And if I'm being honest, looking back, as much as I resisted the transitions and the changes, I was uncomfortable with the way my life was. So it's like I was uncomfortable with things, but I just was too scared to hit rock bottom. And that is why today's episode is entitled CEOs cannot afford to be afraid of rock bottom rock bottom is not somewhere where we will stay it's not a fixed position it's supposed to be a springboard to our next and I'm grateful now that I'm on the other side of not feeling like myself for so long I'm grateful for that season that two-year season of just Things spiraling out of control, out of my control. Um, Losing people who I thought at that moment I could not live without. Um, And now looking at my life and seeing just how much God needed me to step back and allow him to make room for more. Which is why I had declared that 2021 would be my year of more. And I'm seeing it every day. Life is so different now. But what I'm most grateful for is feeling like myself again. So I wanted to, before we got into the super inspiring interviews with these beautiful women, I wanted to share this podcast because it helped me during a really low moment. And I think it'll be able to help you. So let's get into it. Thank you. 
Good afternoon. How beautiful is this? Yeah. <sighs> Oprah said my name. <laughs> I swear that's how I feel. So, welcome to Songversation. It is my mission to spread love, healing, peace, and joy through the power of words and music. Thank you. I heard that. And Songversation is not a concert. It's not a lecture. It's not a performance even. This is a Songversation. And a Songversation is a practice that is part meditation, part prayer, part fellowship, and part action. And so Songversation Worthy is my story of breakdown, breakthrough, Break the shell, elevate, and fly. Break down, break through, break the shell, elevate, and fly. Like many of us in this room, I am a student of life. And I come from seven generations that I can genealogically trace, and probably way more than that, of preachers and singers and evangelists. And so I stand on the shoulders of that legacy, thus this conversation. Yes, and so... The music industry has been my university. Music has been my major. The people I've interacted with have been my students and my teachers and my course study. And this practice of songversation, I think I will call it my thesis. As when I came into the backtrack for a second. So when I came into the music industry, I was put into a box based on race and gender. And they basically said, you're a black woman, and so this is what people will accept from you. And I stayed in that box until it began to hurt and the flame of my creativity, which once burned so bright, I was always writing songs, and I always felt inspired, stuck in this box, it began to turn in on me and I began to burn. My skin was burning, my lower back was burning, my stomach was burning. My heart was burning, and I began to self-destruct, literally. And I knew that I was in danger of being extinguished. And so standing here with this conversation, this is a powerful moment for me to be here sharing myself with you in this way. And it is my prayer that you will hear yourself in my story and that in whatever way you're meant to be touched, that you are. So break down, break through, break the shell, elevate and fly. My breakdown began in my childhood where I grew up in a very tumultuous home. And um, my childhood, it was full of love. My parents loved me. We had a dynamic family. My father was a professional athlete. My mother is a fashion designer. But my childhood was also traumatic. I was sexually abused by several people by the time I was 12. And my parents had uh, abusive relationships, so I saw horrible violence. And by the time I was 18 and I went away to college, I felt innately flawed and unlovable, really. And I walked through life with this ever-present undercurrent of melancholy. My mother is a singer, and I grew up to be one, too. And 
As I started writing songs, my songs became that outlet for my melancholy. And my gifts made me feel worthy of being loved by people. And my talent camouflaged all of my insecurities. And so my young mind deduced, if I write enough songs, I can write enough songs to heal all the pain. And if I have more success, I can have I can be more worthy and have more love because I'm successful, right? No, because it doesn't work like that. Wrong. So I went into the music industry at 23 years old seeking to be healed, which is laughable now because the music industry is treacherous. (laughs) With fame, you become literally a human commodity and your, your space is invaded with opinions and projections from every direction. You're under constant scrutiny, the racism, the sexism, the misogyny, all that stuff we know that's in the music industry. But then you add on top of that the exhaustion of constant travel and the anxiety of like some new drama every day. And you get my drift. But worst of all is the isolation of fame. Because no one, no matter how much they love you, no one really understands what it's like unless they've been there. And one of the most difficult parts of this experience of fame has been that my mother, who was always my backbone, everything. She made this skirt last night. My mother's my backbone. She couldn't even understand that experience of fame and what it was feeling like. And so when I crossed into that threshold of fame, I had strange relationships with everyone in my family and I lost all my friends, all of them. And I went into living this isolated life and a depression that lasted for many years. I didn't even know it was there. I just didn't feel right. And so it was the great wound of my life to discover that success doesn't equally equal happily ever after. Achieving all my childhood dreams, singing with my heroes, being number one on the billboard chart, winning Grammys, all that stuff was cool, cool, but it didn't heal me of that ever-present melancholy, and in fact, it magnified it. So, breakthrough. I released my first album, Acoustic Soul, in 2001. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those albums mean a lot to me. It's been everything. It's been my life's work. I released my second album, Voyage to India, in 2002. Thank you. Thank you. And I toured and traveled and had many successes, but at the same time, profound defeat. So after Voyage to India, I took a break for several years, and I came back in 2006 with my third album, Testimony Volume 1, life and relationship thank you (laughs) and that album debuted number one on the billboard chart it was the first time that had ever happened for me but then while on tour with that album i had a spiritual breakdown that ended up being my unexpected spiritual breakthrough And so this breakdown started in the dressing room before a concert. And my business team was trying to convince me to do something that would have been good for my career, but I just didn't have the time to fit it in between the tour and everything else that was going on. I didn't have the time. So they were 
calling and talking about it and pressuring me up to the minute I took stage and I went out on stage and I gave everything because that's what we do when we get up here. We give everything. And then I got back to my dressing room after the show and it all started up again. The calls and the pressuring and the talking at me and I snapped. It was as if my body and my soul had to separate from my personality so that my soul could say no. And I remember screaming, I was breaking things, and I ran down this stairwell, many, many flights of steps, don't even remember how many now. And I got to the bottom of the steps, and I kicked this door open, and there were fans out there waiting to greet me. And I snapped, too. And I walked back up the steps, and I was just stunned because I didn't know what had just happened. And I collapsed on the floor, crying, and my whole band surrounded me, and everybody was just really confused. And so I went home for two days. And I rested, and then I went back out on the road to complete the tour. And when I got back out there, no one asked me what was wrong. No one said, maybe you need to take a break, or you need to go take care of yourself. They just reminded me of my schedule and my obligations. And I was miserable. I was raw. I was raw. And when the tour ended, I withdrew from everything completely. I self-medicated with isolation, which became my drug of choice. And I came off the tour and I stayed in the house for 30 days or more, literally 30 days, no front porch, no back porch, literally in the house for a month. And when I finally did travel again, it was to go to the opening of Oprah School in South Africa. So this is December of 2007. And we rang in the new year there in South Africa. While I was there, I had so many really important conversations. You can imagine the kind of people who were there. But the most impactful conversation I had was with the force of nature that is Cicely Tyson. <laughs> so we're there in South Africa. It's January 2nd, 2008. And I can't tell you everything she said because we just don't have time. But at the end of the conversation, she hit me on my arm and said, you need to break that shell and let life touch you. Break the shell for me means beginning to take action. So this is now 2008. And I, I record an album all the year of 2008, which is released early 2009. And in early 2009, I'm emotional from that applause. Thank you. In early 2009, I released my fourth album. It's called Testimony, Volume 2, Love and Politics. Thank you. Thank you. And so I went into that year touring with Testimony, Volume 2, with my eyes wide open because Cicely Tyson told me to. It really it was like, okay, yes, ma'am. I'll do it. And so I went into the year with my eyes wide open, and I watched as everything fell apart. While I was on tour, I dislocated my finger on stage. I threw up in the airport in Boston. I lost my voice and had to get steroid injections to get my voice back. I had to take a round of antibiotics. And this was the beginning of 2009. And so by the end of 2009, everything I was afraid of happening happened. I was humiliated on stage. I was sick. I was stolen from. And I'd hit rock bottom. And I saw, I saw what needed to change, and it was me. I had tried 
everything. In my early 20s, I tried drugs. Didn't work. I tried to give my power away, thinking somebody else could fix my life and make things better. Didn't work. I tried to pretend long enough just to get paid. Didn't work. I tried to quit. Didn't work. And the only thing that I realized I hadn't tried was the truth. What is the truth? And I knew that no one was gonna, no one was going to tell me to take a break and take care of myself. And so I knew I had to do it for myself. The my favorite quote is from the 20th century essayist Anais Nin, and she says. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. So I looked my fear right in the eye, and I tore my whole career down, my whole life down, down to the foundation. And then I realized I needed to break the foundation up, tear that up, down to the dirt. And then I realized I needed to just move somewhere else and start over somewhere else. And at this time, I'm 35 years old. I've released four albums. I've been in the music industry for ten years, and I'm thinking it's time to take a chance on the truth. This would be the beginning of a four-year hiatus. Elevate. My life fell apart, and the first thing I did was go into nature. And so Henry David Thoreau, poet and philosopher, said it perfectly. He says, "Heaven is under our feet." As well as over our heads, and so I went into nature and I listened. And the first thing, first, I began by writing my whole life story out to myself. It took me about two weeks. And the most important lessons I learned during that process are: number one, I'm responsible for me, as in responsible for how I feel. And number two, I'm responsible for me, as in responsible for the energy I bring to the world. And I was, I didn't want to keep leaking my pain onto other people. And number three, I realized that I had the power all along, and all I had to do was use it. And <laughs> isn't that wild how that happens? And four, I learned that I had to be the highest authority in my life and in my business. And five. I learned that I had to define success for myself because everyone has their own agenda. There's nothing wrong with that. It's how we do business. But I too needed to have my agenda so that I knew that I was in alignment with my truth. And so the best, the best definition of success I've ever heard is from Dr. Maya Angelou. She said, "Success is liking yourself, liking what you do, and liking how you do it." And my definition of success is to live with a joyful heart. To make money doing what I love, and to make a contribution to the elevation of humanity. And I've been a seeker all my life in a quest to heal that haunting melancholy. And through my seeking, gradually I did achieve a lot of clarity and spiritual maturity. And I lived comfortably in this bubble that was made of all of the knowledge and the wisdom I had accrued. But knowing is one thing, and being is another thing. So I call this embodiment. Let me explain. Just let me explain this to you. So I'm standing on this mountaintop in Hawaii, and it was—I still don't really know why. For a lot of reasons, it was like this bubble that I lived in, this bubble of knowledge and wisdom, floated up above my head and burst open, and it rained down on me and soaked through my skin and seeped like into my very being. 
And I felt instantly like I was, I don't know the word. Instantly I was bathed. No, no. Mm. I wish I had a better word. I have something here, but that's not the word. Instantly I had come into myself. I don't have a better word. I came into myself. And it was like, oh, oh, we really do stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. The earth really is one interconnected being. Oh, and so if that spiritual breakdown in the dressing room in 2006 was a fragmenting of my mind, body, and soul, this seven years later, spiritual awakening on the mountaintop was a reunion. And embodiment is the best word I found to describe this. It was the actual shift on a cellular level. I felt like a different person, like I dropped into me. And the most important lesson of that awakening, the core truth that I was literally, the core truth that I was literally imbued with on the mountaintop that day is that there is nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. And I'm worthy and I'm significant and I matter because I exist. Not because of my accomplishments, but because I exist. And I'm deemed no less worthy by anything I've done or anything that's been done to me. And then I came down from the mountaintop and something interesting happened. Because this is how life goes, right? I was tested. <laughs> and I, I call it Skingate 2013. So there's a cultural pain in the black community around self-worth. There's that word again based on the shade, lighter or darker, of your skin. It's called colorism. Can't go into all that here. But in short, what I was accused of was not loving myself. And the irony was, I had never loved myself more. And this Skingate 2013 was my chance to be me, the new me. And what I know now is that The things that we go through that hurt us and the lessons we are just our lessons. Those are our lessons. There's nothing wrong with. Mm. It, it's funny because, excuse me, I just got emotional. What I now know is that the things that we go through that hurt us is just life happening. It's just life happening and there's nothing wrong with it. You're just human. And what I now know is that there's always another shell to break and another flight to take. Because nothing fixes everything, not even a moment of enlightenment on a mountaintop. Nothing fixes everything. And so the life I live now, it's not struggle free, but I'm taking divine right action easier and faster. Because I know the pain of living. Yes. 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 And 
I know the power of living my truth. What I know now is the only way to be in alignment with your destiny is to follow your truth. Every choice you've made has brought you here. Where you will be in the future is not by accident. It is by choice. One choice at a time. I began life, really. I began this journey wounded and broken. But today, I've grown into a person who is self-defined. I'm courageous. Even when I'm scared, I'm scared now. I'm courageous. I'm empowered. I'm in alignment with my destiny. And looking at the truth was the key that opened everything. Being willing to just look at the truth and going inside for the clarity. Making decisions guided by my soul, not by my fear, not by my personality, but my soul. And how do we be in touch with our soul? By going inside, by going within. And I've been able to sustain my authenticity on this path of this awakening by this, my daily practice of songversation, which is part prayer, part meditation, part fellowship, part action. And the way, the same way, songversation begins with a prayer, it ends with a prayer. I always tell people, Every song you write takes your whole life to write it, especially if it's simple. (laughs) And what I know now, what I, (laughs) what I know for sure. (laughs) You quoted me. (laughs) What I know for sure is that we are all, we are all worthy and significant, and we matter because we exist, period. We're worthy of our dreams. We're worthy of respect. We're worthy of the visions for our lives. We're worthy of our voices. Thank you. How amazing was that? How amazing is the phenomenal and talented India Ari? The final takeaway from today's episode, the final thing that I want to leave with you all is as the CEOs of your businesses, your projects, and your life, you cannot allow today's darkness to determine tomorrow's light. So I know, and I experience it every day as I live, and I maneuver entrepreneurship that some days you don't want to work, some days you don't want to get out of your bed, some days you don't even want to talk. But tomorrow might not be what today is. And you have a choice as the CEO of your life to not be in a fixed position in your rock bottom, but to gather the pieces of all your mistakes and use them to get to where you want to be i'll see you all next week as we explore more on the journey of entrepreneurism love and light before you go don't forget to subscribe rate 
and review today's episode and share today's episode with someone you love.